0: Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to yet another episode of Ross Zoo News. I'm excited to have you back. Now remember, this episode is going to feature three segments Zoo News. Conservation news and other news pertaining to animal stuff. And if you see any stories, you can send them to me. That's right, folks. You can send me zoo nudes. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> you. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. That's hilarious. I meant to say that you could send me zoo news, but I said that you could send me zoo nudes. I mean, to be fair, most of the animals at zoos are nude most, if not all of the time. As a matter of fact, um, a lot of these videos of of primates wearing human clothing and stuff are a great way to identify a facility that is not good and are a thing that you should not encourage. Um, So I'm going to use my Freudian slip as a teaching moment and say that and leave that in, because that's hilarious. And yes, I realize that some of you are thinking that I'm laughing at a joke that would be more appropriate for a teenage boy, but to you I say, well, that's kind of insulting to some of the more mature teenage boys that I know. Think about it. (laughs) All right, this got really goofy and went off the rails immediately, possibly because I'm recording at 10 30 in the morning and I usually am not even awake at this time of day, but hey, there we go. Anyway. Just remember that you can hit me up, uh, either send me an email to rasafaripod at gmail.com with any stories that you find, or tag me in them on Instagram or Facebook. Make sure you're following along at Rossifari, and then you can just tag me in any stories that you find, and I can uh, talk about them on here. As always, towards the end of the episode, I will be thanking everyone who contributed this week, and if you contribute to a future episode, I'll thank you, too. Isn't that exciting? You'll get to hear your name on a podcast. Okay, well, I think that's enough of this absolutely ridiculous intro, so it's time to get to it, so uh, let's do that. Two, three, four. Ow, oh, that's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or oh, a It's Zoo news. Yeah. All right, y'all. So I do love my funky zoo news funk song, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and I love to let it play through all of this because of course I do. I'm a musician at heart and I really love what I do. That said, um, the first couple stories here are going to get pretty serious. So, uh, hold on to your butts and, uh, let's go. So we're going to start off this episode by kind of reminding everyone that it was around a year ago that uh, George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, Juneteenth, which was not officially recognized as an American holiday yet, was being celebrated. And there was just a lot of awareness being brought to the plight of the black community uh, at the hands of police and and others racists in general because of that. Around this time last year, many of the zoos and aquariums that uh, we all love started putting out statements on racial diversity and their plans to help improve um, the diversity of their staffs. Well, it's been a year and a lot of those same institutions are now starting to put out updates online. For instance, New England Aquarium put out a small article called Advancing Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. The heading starts off by saying, one year ago today, we publicly reaffirmed our commitment to diversity, equality, and inclusion. Today, we hold ourselves accountable by sharing some of the steps we have taken to create an actionable plan to advance our diversity, equity, and inclusion goals while acknowledging that we still have much work to do they then go into details of their plans and what they have done and what they're hoping to continue to do. Um, And that's just one example uh, because I love the New England Aquarium and they made a really big deal about this in an awesome way. But a lot of different institutions are doing this. So if diversity is something that is important to you and it darn well should be, then I highly recommend looking up your local zoos and aquariums, especially anywhere that you may be a member of. See if they put out any statements a year ago. See if they put out any statements of support. And if so, either see if they've put out an update, or if not, maybe drop them a line and remind them to. Um, Change doesn't come all at once, and change certainly doesn't come from posting a meme or saying hashtag Black Lives Matter once. And um, if we want to see actionable change in this field, then we need to make sure that we are holding these institutions accountable. Y'all know that I love the zoos and aquariums that I feature on this podcast, Uh, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't also be making sure that they're doing the right thing. Uh, As I said, many have put out statements, and and I believe many others will in the, the upcoming weeks, but if you have not seen one from your favorite zoo or aquarium, I highly recommend shooting them an email and saying, hey, How's that going? Why don't you let us know? So now we're going to move on to a follow-up to a story I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that is is really heartbreaking. Zoo Tampa has announced that they have learned the reason that their entire Stingray population died. It was because of a supersaturation event. A supersaturation event occurs when too much oxygen is in the water, which can lead to gas embolisms, also known as gas bubble disease, in the stingrays. The zoo was not able to announce this immediately because by the time the staff came in the next morning, oxygen levels had returned to normal. So they sent off all of their evidence that they collected to a specialty lab in Germany who determined that this was probably the cause of the death of the stingrays. Zoo Tampa has still not been able to identify the exact cause of the supersaturation. Some possible causes include a water system malfunction or a pipeline crack that was not detected during daily inspections, though if that is the case, it has still not been found. Zoo Tampa does desire to continue to showcase stingrays, but is determined that nothing like this will ever happen again. Instead of reopening the exhibit, they're going to tear it down entirely, and then they will build a new habitat, which will be updated with a new water management system, which will include redundancies, safeguards, and updated procedures, according to staff at the zoo. Y'all... I love Zoo Tampa. I'm in Florida right now. I just became a member at Zoo Tampa and I was there on Monday and it was amazing. I will say, however, that I did get really sad when I walked by Stingray Bay and I I saw the empty tank and lack of humans around there. I actually had a really great time there a few years ago with my parents when we were all in Florida, petting the rays and having a great time. However, I do need to clarify that, you know, something like this can happen. It is an unfortunate thing and it is devastating for the staff, obviously. But this in no way means that Zoo Tampa should be seen as a less good zoo or that they're not doing the right thing. As a matter of fact, I would argue that their commitment to completely rebuilding a new exhibit rather than just saying, oh, hopefully we can fix this one shows exactly how amazing of a facility Zoo Tampa is. Moving on from a situation like this can always be challenging, and it is awesome to see Zoo Tampa rising to the occasion in such an impressive way. Oh, and as a more fun, lighthearted uh bonus fact about Zoo Tampa, they have pretzels. Many of you know that I am absolutely obsessed with Zoo pretzels, and in this case I have to tell you Zoo Tampa has pretzels that are shaped like animals. Yep, let that sink in for a minute. Run, don't walk, to Zoo Tampa and make darn sure you get yourself an animal pretzel. And speaking of happy things, because pretzels are the happiest of things, uh, happy 60th birthday to Ozzy. Ozzy is the world's oldest living male gorilla and the oldest male gorilla on record. Where does Ozzy live? Zoo Atlanta, where you can see him on exhibit still hanging out with his troop and living his best life. That's right, Ozzy is 60. And from very old to very young, we're now heading to Seneca Park Zoo, where they have an eight-week-old snow leopard cub. The cub was born eight weeks ago, that's how that works, and uh, had a lot of problems. Uh, There was some serious concern about the mother's care and his health, so he had to be removed the day he was born, and then had a really bad upper respiratory infection that looked like it might be the end for the little cub. However, the amazing staff at the zoo, along with the amazing constitution of the cub, teamed up to fight through, and now the cub is doing great. Of course, he still needs something. He still needs help. The help that he needs is finding a name. You can submit an idea for the name to name the cub at monroecounty.gov using the subject line, Name Our Snow Leopard Cub. Also, if you happen to be at the zoo, you can go to the snow leopard exhibit, currently featuring the cub's parents, Tamila and Kaba, and uh, submit a name there. The five most popular suggested names will then be put to a vote on the zoo's website and at the exhibit. And hey, if you're a little bummed out that you're not in the area of the zoo and you really wish you could see the little cub, well, now you can. The zoo has set up a cub cam streaming live video 24-7 from the den. The link is senecaparkzoo.org slash cub Over the next few weeks, the cub will be learning socialization skills as well as learning basically how to be a successful snow leopard. And now you can tune in and watch that experience. Once again, that link is senecaparkzoo.org slash cub Now, one of the biggest issues that anti-zoo people bring up about zoos is the fact that the populations are never reintroduced into the wild. Now, if you've listened to the podcast, you understand that that is often the case for very good reason, but you also know that that's not always the case. And the Detroit Zoo is sending a couple of cool animals back home. In an effort that has taken two years to plan and begin to execute, the Detroit Zoo has teamed up with Volpro, an incredible conservation organization, to further the efforts of old-world vulture conservation by relocating the zoo's female lappet-faced vulture, as well as two pairs of breeding hooded vultures, to the Volpro property in South Africa. This is the very first time that Old World vultures are being sent from North America back to Africa. The pairs of hooded vultures are already bonded, and it is believed that once they have settled into their new home, they should start producing chicks in no time. The story about the lappet-faced vulture is even more interesting because it is a very strong and confident female who doesn't take crap from anyone or any bird. That is important because Volpro has a male lappet-faced vulture that has a propensity for aggressive behavior with females. However, as the female that is going there from Detroit uh, does not really put up with that kind of crap, this may turn into a match made in heaven. Volpro pointed out that they generally don't play matchmaker, but in this case, they think they may have found such a perfect match, and, since the species is in such trouble... It's important to try to get both of these birds to breed. Of course, VolPro will be watching the situation, monitoring carefully, doing introductions, all those good things. you know, you, you've heard a bunch about that kind of stuff on here already. but they are hopeful that it will be a love story for the ages and promise to keep everyone tuning in abreast of the situation. And now we turn our attention to the Minnesota Zoo. I believe that's how you say that in proper Minnesotan So. Man, am I going to get crap for this one. Anyway, is pleased to announce the birth of two wolverine kits. Now, the Minnesota Zoo is home to the only pair of breeding wolverines in any zoo in the United States. As such, this is a really big deal. Of course, for the first few months, the wolverine kits did stay in a special behind-the-scenes den with their mother. However, they are now active, playful, and on exhibit, which is why I'm quitting the drums, quitting my current gig, and hopping a flight immediately to Minnesota. Sorry, Jason, sorry to my bandmates and great balls of fire, but it's over. I gotta go see some Wolverine kits. Okay, I'm kidding, probably. Seriously, though, wolverines are an incredibly rare species in the U.S. in general, and to see the only kits currently in the country from the only breeding pair in the country would be pretty darn amazing. If you have a chance, get yourself to the Minnesota Zoo. A hearty congratulations to Director of Conservation Programs at Roger Williams Park Zoo, Lou Parati. Now, you may remember Lou from his incredible episode of the Raw Safari podcast, and uh, apparently I'm not the only one recognizing how great Lou is, because the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has recognized Lou as a 2020 recovery champion for his dedication and ongoing efforts to protect Rhode Island's state insect, the American Burying Beetle. Lou's such an awesome and humble guy, and um, he's just such a character. If you haven't checked out episode 19 of the podcast yet, Less Charismatic Species Conserved by a Charismatic Guy with Lou Parati of Roger Williams Park Zoo. I highly recommend that you do. And I also just have to say that I think it's so cool that Lou has not only been on this podcast, but, you know, featured in a book written by Jane Goodall and is getting all of these props for his work from Fish and Wildlife and a bunch of different organizations over the years. But. At the same time, when I sent a quick email asking if he could help me get in touch with someone at Roger Williams about doing a couple more interviews, he took care of it immediately, set me right up with Corey, who then helped me bring you those two episodes that came out recently with Lara and Lauren. He's just that kind of dude, and it's so nice to see such a cool guy with an amazing heart for conservation getting props. These boots were made for waddling, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna waddle over you. That's right, y'all. Enrique, a geriatric penguin at the St. Louis Zoo, has been given special boots that help with his arthritis. Enrique is a southern rockhopper penguin who, at 30 years old, has well outlived his life expectancy at the zoo. For comparison, wildlife expectancy of a southern rockhopper? Around 10 years. Of course, with advanced age comes advanced medical problems, and in the case of Enrique, it's arthritis. Vets tried to treat the arthritis with various medications and topical treatments, but they had to be reapplied every time he got in and out of the water, which created quite the issue. As such, they turned to New Jersey-based TheraPaw, a company that helped make specialty boots for Enrique. They sent an initial pair, and then after seeing how it worked, made some modifications, and a month later, Enrique was walking around in amazing boots that have reduced the need for medication while making sure that he still gets around quickly and efficiently. Also, and this is adorable, Zoo staff does put the shoes on every morning and then take them off before Enrique goes to bed at night. I love it. And while we're on the subject of the St. Louis Zoo, they also did a blog post this week about the secret science at the zoo. I highly recommend you check this out at stlzoo.org, but I'll give you a quick overview of it. The basic idea is that if you've ever seen someone with a stopwatch and a clipboard or writing down animal behaviors at the zoo, then you have caught a zoo scientist in action. The zoo actually has a diverse team of scientists who conduct research on a range of topics including animal behavior, reproduction, endocrinology, welfare, veterinary health, ecology, genetics, and nutrition. There are actually even scientists there that are studying the people to see how they interact with the exhibits to get better education information. The research department launched at the St. Louis Zoo in 1988, and since then, the team has had many scientific advances attributed to it. One such example is the creation of the first Bantang by artificial insemination. That's an endangered species of wild cattle that is from Southeast Asia. They also produced the world's first wolf to be conceived using cryopreserved semen. They are also one of the only zoos in the country that maintains a frozen zoo that holds sperm, eggs, and other tissues from animals to preserve genetic diversity in animal populations for the long term. The list goes on and on, but in the last five years, the zoo has produced 127 publications in edited books, peer-reviewed scientific journals, and trade publications. And honestly, much of the work that they are doing now is just really incredible. I highly recommend checking out the article. I'm also grateful to the zoo for putting this information out there because, as I've mentioned on the pod repeatedly, I think this is the kind of thing that we need to do a better job making the public aware of. By posting blogs, by telling people about it, and by starting a podcast that talks all about the awesome work being done at zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations that is maybe named after your last name, Portmanteau, with a um, word that pertains to wildlife and stuff like... Like, oh, I don't know, safari? Anyway, our final story in Zoo News this week is about the Phoenix Zoo, which recently celebrated the birth of 21 baby black-footed ferrets. Now, I know that most of you know this, but black-footed ferrets, as you've heard on the podcast, are one of the most endangered species in North America— And the reintroduction programs are going really well. You can actually, you know, go and hear more about those if you haven't listened to the Weasel Warrior episode of the podcast yet. That's episode number 81 featuring Amy King of the Cape May County Zoo who has also worked with Blackfooted Ferret reintroduction programs. Some of the kits born at the zoo will be released into the wild while others are kept for breeding purposes based on their genetics. Also, there are currently three more expectant mothers at the zoo that haven't given birth yet, making this one of the most successful breeding seasons for black-footed ferrets at the Phoenix Zoo. Yay, conservation. And speaking of conservation... Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! Wildlife Vets International is hosting a new wildlife photography competition called Stories of Survival. You can find the information at wvi underscore stories underscore of underscore survival on Instagram. The contest is dedicated to images which document in situ conservation activities. There are many amazing prizes available that would be really helpful to people doing conservation work in the field, so if that is your thing, check it out. I'll include a link to the Instagram in the show notes. Now, one of the biggest threats facing giraffes in the wild today is wire snares and the Giraffe Conservation Foundation obviously likes to help these giraffes out by successfully removing wire snares from animals. In May alone, they removed the snares from 18 animals, including 9 Nubian giraffes. In total, the Giraffe Conservation Foundation mobile vet team has saved over 200 giraffe, which is amazing. But they're determined to do even more, and as such, they have partnered with the Snares to Wears Initiative, a Ugandan nonprofit organization that employs local community members to repurpose wire snares into pieces of art as an alternative source of income, while also conducting community support and education to reduce the incidence of poaching in the park. And when I say they're making art, I don't just mean things like bracelets— For instance, they have made a life-size elephant out of wire snares that they have displayed in Murchison Falls National Park in Uganda right now. Taking care of animals and the people that live around them is the true key to conservation, and it is awesome to see this new initiative that Draft Conservation Foundation is undertaking. So uh, the U.S. Senate did something... And that alone is honestly kind of news right now, Um, but this is pretty exciting. The U.S. Senate has passed the Shark Fin Sales Elimination Act, a bill that bans the buying and selling of shark fins in the United States and is part of a larger legislative package known as the United States Innovation and Competition Act. This is really important because global oceanic shark and ray populations have declined by more than 70% over the last 50 years, with overfishing as the primary cause. The bill still needs to pass the U.S. House of Representatives, so please contact your representatives and let them know to pass the ban on shark fins. This is a way that you can directly impact the conservation of shark and ray species. Areas of western Florida are currently having a major problem with Burmese pythons. That's right, Burmese pythons are a major problem in Florida, which you may realize is nowhere near Burma. However, these pythons are brought in as pets, and then when they start to get too big and their requirements to keep them alive become too challenging, people release them into the wild, where they then breed and cause serious havoc on the local environment. Big Cypress National Preserve began a scout snake tracking program back in 2017 where vets surgically implanted transmitters and track the snakes that were given the transmitters to gain useful information to help reduce the population of the invasive species in question. Basically, as the snakes interact with other pythons, those pythons are then removed from the wild to reduce the overall impact on native wildlife. And what an impact they have. Um, Big Cypress biologist Matthew McAllister recently contacted the Naples Zoo about the fact that one of the pythons in question was found to have digested something really, really large. So the Naples Zoo veterinarian, Dr. Kelsey Stovall, and Director of Conservation Tim Tetzlaff set out with a digital radiography machine to x-ray the snake in the field. What did they find? An entire deer fawn had been digested by the snake. In fact, this is not too shocking, as deer hooves have been found in many pythons, along with everything from raccoons and alligators to wading birds and, yes, even Florida bobcats. The problem here is that pythons are taking meals away from native predators and putting a lot of strain on an ecosystem that is already facing a lot of threats from humans and other actual native species. In fact, the problem is so large that the Naples Zoo has formed a Zoo Park Partnership for America's Keystone Wildlife with Big Cypress National Preserve, and they are collaborating on more efforts like this to try to A, educate the public, and B, get rid of more of the invasive species causing these issues. And see, this is the problem with the exotic pet trade in general. Places like Florida that allow the exotic pet trade to run fairly unchecked have all kinds of problems. We have Burmese pythons traveling around in Florida right now. There's also a colony of vervet monkeys on the east coast of Florida that just live in the wild there. A sanctuary has actually been set up to help these vervets live. However, that sanctuary was built around where they have populated, not vice versa. Invasive species are a real problem, y'all, and the exotic pet trade is a major contributor to this issue. Indonesia has announced sightings of two new Javan rhino calves this year, in the only place on Earth where the critically endangered species is found. These new calves bring the estimated population of the species to 73 Not great, but definitely growing. Uh, Since 2012, conservationists have recorded at least one new calf a year, and that's promising. This population growth is really great, but of course the rhinos are still under a huge threat of disease, natural disaster, and yes, a resurgence in humans screwing things up and killing them. And now... So, as you know, hippos are African animals, but there is a wild population in Colombia because Pablo Escobar, the former drug kingpin, had a huge population of them in his little private zoo, not ACA accredited, I, I will point that out. And when Escobar was shot dead by authorities and all the animals rehomed, the people who were in charge of that uh, process were frankly too scared of the hippos to do anything about it. So they sent them out into the wild where they thought they would die. Instead, they found the waterways of Colombia to be a perfectly acceptable home and started doing what hippos do, threatening humans, living, eating, and procreating. And so now there is a whole other generation of Escobar hippos, also known as cocaine hippos, that are growing up in Colombia. And guess what? They are also procreating. Oh, heck, let's just say it. We could make a game about this called Horny Horny Hippos, y'all. In order to prevent this from continuing... Local vets are performing the first-ever castration of hippos in the wild to keep them from continuing to take over the lakes and rivers. Each operation takes around 12 hours and requires a crane to maneuver the hippos. The work is essential because the largest predator— in Colombia is a jaguar, which has no chance of taking on an adult hippo. As such, these hippos are breeding rampantly and even reaching sexual maturity at younger ages. There is a legit threat that within the next decade there could be over a thousand hippos, many inbred, running around and terrorizing the citizens of Colombia without this castration. So while the effort is enormous, it is also essential. Now, who's going to help me design Horny Horny Hippos the game? And finally this week, one of the more interesting problems that is facing conservationists when it comes to certain species is simply the ability to observe them. For instance, how do you observe a pod of orcas without disturbing them by having a boat right there to see their natural behaviors? Welp, some scientists recently solved that issue by sending some drones to track the mammals from above. Some of the new findings from this data show that each orca spends more time interacting with certain individuals in their pod than others, and that they tend to favor those of the same sex and similar age. But as they get older, whales actually appear to grow apart, which is kind of surprising. In general, the scientists were surprised to find out how much touching happens between whales. There is a lot of contact, especially between the ones that seem to spend the most time together. It seems that physical contact may be a soothing, stress-relieving activity that reinforces social connection, similar to the effect it has in humans and some other primate cultures. I'll be excited to see what additional information comes from these drone studies as time goes on. And now it's time for your animal holidays for the week. So a reminder that this is your last full week of Zoo and Aquarium Month, Orca Month, and World Oceans Month. And beyond that, honestly, there's not much to report. Um, Friday the 25th is Take Your Dog to Work Day and also National Catfish Day and um, yep, that's it. Uh, According to my Peppermint Narwhal calendar the 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th all have no animal holidays on them although I will mention that Wednesday the 30th is Asteroid Day. But this is also the last week of Pride Month, and while that's not an animal holiday but a human one, I just want to reaffirm that uh, I am a a big ally of the LGBTQ plus community, and uh, I, I hope you all have had an amazing Pride Month. All right, so there we have it, this week's Zoo News. And I have to tell you... I have had so many people sending in so many amazing articles that I honestly couldn't get to a bunch of them this week. But don't worry, I've got them set aside for next week already. If you would like to contribute, you can tag me, as I mentioned at the beginning, at Rossafari on Instagram and Facebook in any articles that you see or posts that you see that may be zoo newsworthy. Or you can send me articles directly to rasafaripod at gmail.com. And a huge thank you to this week's contributors Kim Cooley, Dr. Natalie Taco, Alicia Gaudette, Jacob Newman, and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. And remember, y'all, the term newsy credits backward is Yswen Stidirk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.